Welcome to today's program. I just barely got this stuff set up here uh, for today. Um, uh, okay. And there is nobody here. That's all right. Uh, today, today I'm going to uh, read through, start reading through uh, the book of Ephesians. And uh, it's a wonderful book of, of God's holy word. <clears throat> and uh, it's a book that's been very special, very important to me. Uh, personally through the years, and so um, I want to get right to it. Uh, I just want to spend more time on my channel, just going through scripture, going through um, just the glorious, wonderful things that God has revealed to us in his word. You know, that's what um, I do. I, I'm a teacher of, of scripture, supposed to be an, an expositor of, of God's word, and that's what I spend my time doing, is studying the word of God and trying to help others understand it. And, uh, oh, there's Andy Mikowski. Hey, Andy. Um, and there's Paul uh, Harvey. Uh, Paul Harvey. Paul Garvey. Sorry. <laughs> I always say Paul Garvey, not Harvey, the guy from, from England that watches. Uh, here, let me get my camera kind of fixed a little bit better there. Okay, with no more ado, let's get right into Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. And I'm looking at the uh, the New King James Version. And I've also got a couple other translations pulled up here in Bible Works. But let's go ahead and get right to it. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. So they're uh, very different from the way that we write letters today. Uh, there's my my little, my daughter. There's uh, Lily. Hey, Lily. Uh, on the channel over there. Uh, they signed it at the beginning, so they would tell you who, who was writing the letter. It actually kind of makes more sense instead of having to sift through a multi-page letter and look at the back to see who wrote it. It actually makes a little more sense to uh, uh, just identify yourself right out of the gate. So Paul was an apostle. An apostle was someone who was an eyewitness of the resurrection of Christ. Uh, in Paul's case, uh, he was directly appointed by the resurrected Christ there in Acts chapter 9 where he's uh, converted. Uh, they're on his way to Damascus to persecute more Christian people, to imprison them. But he was an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And Paul understood so very, very clearly uh, the supernatural nature of his own conversion. He, he really did, and he, he knew that it was not by his own uh, will, his own, the, the term that's used there is thalematos, his own will, but God's will. It was God's will that had made him uh, an apostle. So he wrote this letter to the saints, to the, the that term uh, hagios, to the holy ones. That's what a saint, a saint means, a holy one. Uh, there in Ephesus, the the saints who are being at Ephesus there, uh, the ones at Ephesus who are faithful in Christ Jesus. So he's writing this to the to the saints, the ones who are holy, are set apart. That's what a, a saint is. Hagias means holy. So the holy ones, the saints, and that is every Christian, not just uh, people that were so righteous that they didn't have to go to purgatory, since uh, no one at Ephesus would have known what purgatory even is. Uh, every Christian is a saint because they are holy in Jesus Christ. So then in verse 2, he has this very common greeting. I love that. You could do a whole sermon on how the this greeting, how the, the, the two key terms that are used in it, grace and peace, how those terms always go together in, in Paul's thinking. Grace to you, he says, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a, a very common greeting. It's in, I think, almost all uh, of his letters say grace to you and peace. And uh, that word, k- 
charis, the word charis for grace there. Grace is what leads to peace. It's because of the grace of God in Jesus Christ that we have peace. And the word for peace, the Greek word for peace there is eirene. And that's where we get the the name Irene, uh, the middle name of my, my youngest child, Gianna. Her middle name is Irene. And Irene is a, just an English form of the Greek word for peace. Eirene uh, means peace. And Eirene, is important to know this, is the Greek translation of the Hebrew um, term shalom. Uh, shalom refers to a wholeness of fellowship, a wholeness of relationship. And so it is because grace has come to these Ephesians that they have peace with God. They have that irene, they have peace with God. Paul uses the very same word uh, in Romans 5.1 when he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the word irene. Irene, which is the translation in the Old Testament, the Greek translation in the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, of the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom is a, a wonderful, wonderful Hebrew term, and that is the background uh, behind peace. We have peace with God. We have wholeness of fellowship with God because of his grace that he has shown to us in Jesus Christ. So grace to you and peace. Peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. Paul just jumps right into it. He just can't wait to, to share all of this. And, and always remember too, you know, Ephesians is six chapters long. And the, the first three chapters are pretty much the, the indicative. They are the, the teaching of here is what God has done for you in, in Jesus Christ. And here is how God has glorified himself in the salvation of his elect people. And it's the indicatives. What, here is what Jesus did. Here is what he has accomplished. And this is what he did. And you, are, you Christians are beneficiaries of what Christ has done here. And then Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 is really more the application of that. In light of what God has done in Christ, in light of what he's accomplished, the salvation that he gives us freely, uh, by faith alone and Christ alone, not by works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In light of that, here's how you are to live. <clears throat> and Paul goes into it in great detail in Ephesians three or uh, Ephesians 4, 5, and 6. We are to put off the old man, put on the new. But here, here he jumps right into, here is one of the greatest statements in, that Paul makes, that the scriptures make about what God has done for us in Christ. Here's what God has done for you. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So if you're a Christian, if you have the Lord Jesus Christ, you have every blessing. So we, we don't believe in what's called second blessing theology. That, yeah, well, when you, fir you first get saved, you get justification. And then by a sheer act of your will, at some point in the future, you, you take this giant leap forward in the realm of sanctification. If you have Christ, you, have, you already have every spiritual blessing. Now, will we go on in our faith? And does God make us um, more godly and give us stronger desires for holiness? And does he kill off more sin? Of course he does. Of course he does that. But we already have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Okay, so Paul is praising God. Praise be to God. Blessed be God. That he uses the term eulagetos. That's where you get the, the English uh, verb eulogy. 
but here it's being used as an adjective. Eulagetas hatheos, blessed be the God, and then Kai Pater, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has blessed. In fact, that is that is parsable. That's a that's what's called a substantival parcel. The one who has blessed us with every blessing. The one who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. So you who have Jesus Christ have every spiritual blessing. And those spiritual blessings are going to be enumerated here. They're going to be listed out and sort of discussed um, here in the, the, the verses that follow. Verse 4. Just as, just as he chose us in, in him. He chose us in him. So the direct object of the um, verb uh, to choose there, which in the lexical form of it is, is um, eklego. But here it's exalexata is the uh, Aris middle third person there. He chose us. God the Father is the subject. He chose us, that pronoun hemas, us. So what's the direct object of God's choosing? It's not Christ. It's us. It's the individuals. It's the Christian people. And there's New Reformation Apologetics. Howdy there, sir. Just doing a, a little read-through of Ephesians to uh, just rejoice in the glorious things that God has revealed here in it. Uh, he chose us in him, in Christ, in the sphere of Christ, meaning we were put um, into his care and given to him as a love gift when? Before the foundation of the world. Pra means before, kataboles, the foundation, cosmo. So pra kataboles, cosmo, before the foundation of the world. When did this choice take place? Before the foundation of the world. Um, it's a glorious thing. Um, I'm just being asked, is it snowing? No, it's been raining forever. It's just raining and raining and raining for like days and days. Although the sun, the sun is peeking out now. Uh, so it's kind of finally shining. Uh, I guess I can get rid of my seasonal affective disorder because it, it depresses me when we don't see the sun for so long. But anyway, so this choice of God, the father, he chose us, the church in Christ when before the foundation of the world. So the selection was made before the foundation of the world with the result that that we would be holy and unblemished, that we would be holy and without blame before him in love and agape, that we would be holy and blameless before him. So this is really speaking of the, the uh, judgment before God, the, the, the purpose for which God chooses us is that we would be holy so that we would not have any sin held against us and that we would be uh, that term amomas, uh, without blemish, and then kat anopion, before in the presence of him. That we would have no, we would be holy and have no blemish. Okay, that, that term, um, amoma, amomus, in fact, I want to check something real quick. I want to look that up in the, uh, the Greek Septuagint here. I bet you anything that is the, the same term that's used to describe the Passover lamb. Um, oh, without blemish, look at that, it is. <laughs> Exodus 20, 29 verse 1. This is what you shall do to them to consecrate them, to minister as priests to me. Take one young bull and two rams without blemish. There it is, Amoma, Amomus. Wow. So just as Christ is the unblemished lamb of God, uh, Paul is using the same term there in Ephesians 1, uh, Amom, Amomus. Wow. So we are holy and without blemish, just like the Passover lamb who was offered uh, in our place. That is amazing. What what a cool thing! I did not know that until just now. I just I just wondered if that was the same word that the uh, the Greek Septuagint uses to translate the Hebrew term for without blemish, and it it is it is. So 
We will become unblemished just as the, the Lord Jesus was, our, our lamb who died in our place. That's why God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world with this intended result that we would be holy and without blame, without blemish before him in love. Amomus. That's great. And, okay, and then it goes on there. Having predestined us, there you have the term praorizo, praorisas, having predestined us, there it is again, just the, uh, uh, the normal accusative. Uh, so what's the direct object of God's predestining? He doesn't predestine Christ. Uh, he didn't choose Christ. He chose us. He chose individuals. He chose individuals. Okay, good question over here. Jonas. Um, why is it that, that many sound theologians, A.W. Tozer, Andrew Murray, mention a specific event like Acts 2 of a second blessing for service? Well, I, I would not include A.W. Tozer or Andrew Murray as being sound theologians. <laughs> because both of them, uh, both of them have that, that uh, Keswick higher life teaching um, kind of in their bloodstream uh, that comes out of the it doesn't come from Paul. It doesn't come from the New Testament. It comes out of, as B.B. Warfield said, out of the laboratory of John and Charles Wesley. I love how Warfield would say that, the laboratory of John and Charles Wesley. That's where that stuff comes from. It doesn't come from the scriptures. It doesn't come from the Bible. It comes from guys that um, were um, had Arminian leanings and all this free will stuff, and which makes sense that your, your theology would drift in that direction if you're Arminian. If everything ultimately arises independently from us, it makes sense that, well, some people are going to be super-duper, super-spiritual and have the second blessing. But I think the refutation of that, and I know our guys, uh, the good, good, solid, biblical uh, Reformed theologians, have used Ephesians 1-3 uh, for a very long time to refute that. If you have Christ, you have every spiritual blessing. Okay, it's not like you've got to push certain buttons or um, you. there's seven easy steps to uh, to getting baptized with the Spirit and having a greater blessing or something. In fact, I believe uh, there's an article you can find online, uh, which I highly recommend. It's written by a good Scottish um, theologian. I believe his name is Donald McLeod. Let me see if I can find this real quick. It's called Holy Spirit Baptism, Seven Easy Steps. Holy Spirit, let me see if I can find it. Holy Spirit Baptism seven easy steps and it's a question i believe that's mcleod if i'm not mistaken D or um, donald donald mcleod is that right um yeah there it is haha <laughs> there it is grace online library you want to understand kind of like some of the dangers of that second blessing theology this article is really 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 good in fact it would be it might be good yeah holy spirit baptism seven easy steps let me put it let me put it over here in the uh, channel thing um so you guys uh, can can look at it if you'd like to do that but this it's a good uh, response to that it's a good um refutation of that and um yeah step one there's seven easy steps except jesus the savior step two renounce all sin step three open confession before the world step four obedience step five thirst <laughs> um yeah that's a good one uh, it's actually, those are indicatives. We're, we're not commanded to thirst. It's simply a statement. If you are thirsty, come to Christ and drink. It's not, you better make yourself thirst. Um, okay, step six, just ask him. And then step seven, faith. Yeah, this is, this is bad stuff. Wow. Okay, so anyway, that's a good article on the second blessing stuff. Just remember, it's refuted nicely and neatly by very simple, clear statements of God's word. 
You already have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. And the means to growing in sanctification is to fix your eyes on Christ. He's the source of it all. He's the one that uh, sanctifies us and makes us more godly. Okay, got to get a sip of the uh, afternoon coffee here. My little boy got me this this mug, and so I drink out of it. I have mugs that are really nice here, too. I have the, um, I have the Faith Alone, Grace Alone, um, cool mugs, and... Um, I have a really cool tumbler that's got all five solas on it from Reformed Sage. So the folks at church have got me some really cool mugs. But I like to drink from this one because my little boy got it for me. From somewhere, I can't remember. I think it was from Habitat for Humanity for like 50 cents. But my little boy got it, so it means something to me. Anyway, so having predestined us. So we're chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and to be without blemish, just like the lambs that were offered, just like the goats that were offered in the Old Testament. They were blemish-free. We will be blemish-free before God because we're dressed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He predestined us unto adoption. Okay, very important uh, biblical concept, that theme of adoption, because prior to coming to Christ, uh, we were, were des- we are described in Scripture as being enemies of God and orphans from God. In fact, Jesus says in the Upper Room Discourse in John 14, 15, 16, I can't remember the specific reference, but I will not leave you orphans. I will not leave you orphans. And so we're adopted into God's family. So always remember, God only has one son uh, by nature, and that's Jesus Christ. But he has many sons and many daughters by adoption. And our adoption into the family of God was predestined by God. It, it was predestined by God to happen. Okay, another just another good question here. I don't understand the significance of Advent of Old Testament believers already had the covenant of grace. It makes the time of the incarnation irrelevant. No, no, it, it doesn't. Pardon me. Um, the significance of Advent of Old Testament believers already had the covenant of grace. They did. They, they lived in anticipation of the coming of Christ. Um, the time of the incarnation is uh, described in Scripture as being very purposeful. It was when, pardon me, when the fullness of time had come. Uh, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. The timing of the incarnation of Christ is also prophesied in the book of Daniel. Um, so that's one thing, the, the coming of Christ and the, the death of Jesus are foretold in real, real specific detail when they were going to happen, uh, in the book of Daniel and Daniel chapter nine. But, but anyway, that's, that's a good question. Okay. So we're predestined unto adoption, Ephesians one, five as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Okay. Well, this guy's asking, uh, but what did old Testament saints not have? until he came. Well, they didn't, they didn't have all the details about who Jesus was. They didn't have all the details, um, about the cross and and all that kind of stuff. They, they didn't have anywhere near as much information about the gospel as we do. So they, they, it was the church under age waiting for the fuller revelation of, of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Okay, let's, let's press on with verse 5 here. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So it is God's will that we are going to be sons and daughters of God by adoption. He predestined us to that end. And so it's important to know that is what the word means. The word predestined is actually, a, in Greek, it's a very transparent term. It means to, to destine beforehand to determine the outcome beforehand. And so we were predestined to be adopted by God. And so the doctrine of election, 
is a personal doctrine. A lot, a lot of folks think of it as an impersonal thing, that God just predestines the category of believers, or he predestines Christ, and then we, by our free will, get into Christ. But it's not. The direct object of the, the verb exalexita there that's used in Ephesians 1, 4, he chose us. The direct object is the us. Not a category, not a class, not Christ. Us, individual believers. The direct object of the verb Praorizo, praorisas, as the as the it occurs here in Ephesians one five, is us. He predestines us, and that's why the Synod of Dort and uh, Reformed theologians, and really even way back to Augustine and and Paul himself here, um, it is individuals who are elected by name individually from before the foundation of the world to be the sons and daughters of God, and that's a very straightforward, simple, glorious teaching here. Okay, so God's love for us is a personal thing, and it's set on us as individuals. And the thing that's very important to remember is that God is in no way obligated to bestow that love on anyone, on anyone. Nobody is entitled to the love of God, the redeeming love of God. So God does this, why? Ephesians 1, 5 says, according to the good pleasure of his will. Why does God predestine people that deserve nothing but wrath and judgment? Why does he predestine them to be adopted through Jesus Christ? Because it pleases them. That's why I love the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Question 20. Did God leave all mankind to perish in the estate of sin and misery? Answer. God, out of his mere good pleasure. God having, out of his mere good pleasure, elected some to everlasting life, did enter into a covenant of grace to deliver them out of the estate of sin and misery and to bring them into an estate of salvation by a redeemer. Why does God do it? Because it pleases him to do it. Because he wants to glorify his grace. And Ephesians 1, 6 is a verse for the ages. It's just awesome stuff. Um, whoa, more people are talking over here. Okay, this is good. This is what this is for. It's for, it's for, the, for the people. The object of faith was still in God. They just didn't have the full revelation. That's right. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Yeah, and New Reformation Apologetics and GDOT over there. We also know from John 8, verse 56, we know that Abraham himself was looking forward to the coming of Christ. Jesus told his opponents at the Feast of Tabernacles that that was the case. That uh, Abraham looked forward to seeing my day, he said. He saw it and was glad. So Abraham knew because of the promises made to him in Genesis 12 that one of his descendants was going to be the seed of the woman, was going to be the one through whom all the families of the earth would be blessed as opposed to cursed. So Abraham knew it would be one of his descendants. He knew that. Okay, so that's a a glorious thing. Um, And so one of my kids, Lily's asking, didn't the Psalms tell them what Jesus would do? Yeah, the the Psalms say exactly what Jesus was going to do, especially Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is what Jesus quotes from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it goes through, um, I I did a a two-part sermon series on that Psalm. I I learned so much about it because Psalm 22 is kind of a window into the heart of Jesus while he's on the cross. And he describes what's going on around the cross in great detail in Psalm 22. And it's just amazing. They have pierced my hands and my feet, he he says, and all sorts of things like that. So, yeah, the Psalms said what was going to happen to Jesus. Uh, The prophets explain it. Isaiah 53, Micah chapter 5 says where he's going to be born. And, and yeah, Isaiah, there you go. He's got the New Reformation Apologetics. has got some of those references there. But good, good question, Lily. Very good. So God does everything he does with regard to 
choosing us, predestining us to adoption, choosing us to be holy and blameless, just like the lambs that were sacrificed, the goats that were sacrificed were blemish-free, amamu, what was that that term again? Uh, Amomus, amomus, blameless, or uh, blemish-free, blemish-free. So he does this according to the good pleasure of his will, and then Ephesians 1, 6 is just one of the best verses. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Why, why, why do I make such a big deal out of our works do not play any role whatsoever in getting us to heaven or anything like that? Why do I hammer that as much as I do? Because I am trying to protect the grace of God from the intrusion of human merit or works or whatever. Why does God do all of this? To the praise of the glory of his grace. For the, the doxes of his grace. That, that term doxes, doxa, means glory. glory. Um, and that's why we have in our service, we have a doxology. What is a doxology? It is giving glory to God. <laughs> that's what a doxology is. Let's give glory to God for creating us, for saving us, redeeming us. To the praise of the glory of his grace. And isn't, isn't his grace glorious? Why, why is God's grace so glorious? Well, because he does all the saving. Christ is the one who achieves it all. Jesus is the one who, who brings us all into heaven. By his work and not by anything that we do. At all. Nothing. So therefore, what is praised, what is glorified, his Grace, caritas altu, his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. And you'll notice some translations, and they rightly so, capitalize the word beloved here. That term, um, uh, agapemino. Agapemino is a perfect passive dative participle form of the verb agapao, to love. And it, when there's a definite article in front of that, sorry, I'm not trying to be overly scholarly here, but definite article in front of that, that's a substantival participle that is functioning as a noun in the sentence. So we are accepted in to agapemino means the beloved one, the beloved one. We are accepted in the beloved one. That's Jesus Christ. Now, how do we know that that's Jesus Christ? Think about what did God the Father say at Christ's baptism? This is my beloved son this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased okay let's, let's find that real quick here matthew three seventeen. this is my beloved son agapetas beloved this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased ephesians 1 6 we are accepted in the beloved one that's christ why are we accepted? Why are we going to be holy, hagias, and amomus, without blemish, and predestined unto adoption? It's by, by the work of Christ, because we're hidden in Christ. We are en, meaning in, the Greek preposition en, en to agapemino. We are in the beloved one. And if you're hidden in Christ, you are accepted in him. You are accepted in him before God. And no legal charge of sin can ever be brought against you. No charge of wrongdoing can ever be brought against you. And you have eternal life. You have eternal life. Because God predestined you to be one of his sons or daughters by adoption. Okay? And verse 7. Verse 7 is another passage that um, I've memorized in the past. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. What a passage. In him, so if we're accepted in the beloved, that means we are in union with Christ. Once a person is granted repentance and they're granted saving faith and they they pronounce a curse, as Paul did, upon everything he used to be trusting in, his own works, his own obedience, his own anything, and we're resting on Jesus Christ alone, we are translated, we are changed from being under Adam to being under Christ. We are no longer in union with our former covenant head, Adam. We are in Christ, our new covenant head, Jesus Christ. And once you're in him, here's what you have. Here is what you possess if you're in Christ. You have apolutrosin, redemption. You have been purchased by the blood of Christ. Redemption through his blood. Diatu haimatas altu, through his blood. Redemption through his blood. Blood, the, the life of Jesus being poured out there at the cross and his, his actual death redeemed us. Did you realize that? The curse of sin will not have the final say over you. All of us are still going to die. We're all still going to die. But it will not get the last word because Christ has redeemed us from the curse. We will not stay dead. He will resurrect us. We've been redeemed from the curse through his blood. And in him, we have redemption. Are you redeemed? I, I ask you, are you a redeemed person? Do you have the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace? I love how that phrase is used very often in scripture. God's grace is described as rich. Okay, plutos, riches of grace. God, God who is rich in mercy. Okay, and we think of someone who is rich in something, we think of, well, yeah, that, that land over there is rich in natural resources. God is rich in grace. He is rich in his grace. And when we have forgiveness of sins, when we have redemption, that is God showing us how rich he really is with grace. He has abundant, infinite storehouses of grace which he lavishes upon his people. And how do we know that he does that? Because Jesus came and died for them. Jesus came and took the curse for them. Jesus came to bring them forgiveness of all their sins, according to the riches of his grace. So in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished Parasuo, he, he lavished upon us, made to abound toward us, it says. Made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Man. So God's glorious wisdom and his design, his, his knowledge and understanding of all things, he lavished exactly what we needed. He lavished exactly what we needed upon us. A perfect savior, one who is fully God and fully man, who enters into that broken covenant of works that requires our obedience, which we don't do, and requires that we pay for our sins, which we cannot. And he does it all. And then he lavishes that grace on us and gives us redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavishes on us in all wisdom and insight, all wisdom and prudence. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the, his good pleasure, 
which he purposed in himself. See, what is being accomplished here in the salvation and in the redemption of, of the church of the Lord? It is God accomplishing what he purposed to do. This is what uh, Reformed theologians and good Christian theologians call the covenant of redemption. This is a plan that God put in place that he formulated before he created anything. The plan for how God was going to glorify himself was already done before he created anything uh, on the first day. Before God made the heavens and the earth, before he creates the heavens and the earth and says, let there be light and let, let the land come forth and the animals and then man. Before all of that, he has a purpose in himself. Later on in Ephesians, in Ephesians 3, 10 and following, he speaks of uh, the eternal purpose which he purposed in Jesus Christ, which he accomplished in Jesus Christ. That phrase, eternal purpose, eternal plan or decree. That's why in our circles we talk a lot, well, we, we talk about decrees because the Bible does. The Hebrew term etzah means decree, plan. God doesn't just make stuff and find out what happens on the fly. He has a plan, he has a purpose, which he purposed in himself according to his good pleasure. Okay, in verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. And what does that word mean, dispensation? The term oikoinomia. Oikoinomia. Is, is, that's where we get the English word economy. It simply means house law or house rule. Um, we are not dispensationalists, but we recognize that the one covenant of grace has been administered in different ways throughout history. Okay, in the fullness of the times, in the in the economy, the house law, the dispensation of the fullness of times after Christ has come, he's going to bring together in Christ all things. He's going to bring all people together in Christ and all things in Christ, which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. And we know from Romans 8, that the whole creation itself is going to be redeemed. It's going to be released from the bondage of corruption and, and so on. Okay. And uh, before we get to verse 11, there's a couple other things said over here. Um, Jonah says, thank you. I've been reading the book humility and also, also absolute surrender. Oh, good gracious. <laughs> um, yeah, I would not recommend that you read absolute surrender by Andrew Murray or that you read, uh, please, please don't read that and don't read abide in Christ by Andrew Murray either. <laughs> you want to read a really good book on the, on the Christian life and what it means to, to really know the Lord. I would recommend the way of life by Charles Hodge. That's a good one. Uh, Putting Amazing Back into Grace by Michael Horton is a great, great book. Uh, just a great overview of the doctrines of grace and of the Christian life and, and all that stuff. In fact, I need to I need to get a couple more copies of that. Um, or, uh, Jonas, I would also recommend another one, Confessing Christ by Calvin Knox Cummings uh, is a great, great, great book, little book. Okay, yeah. Yeah, Charles Hodge, B.B. Warfield. As long as they're not talking about apologetics, they're great. Or evolution. Um, they're great. <clears throat> okay, so Ephesians 1.10. Now, right at the very end of verse 10, it kind of, like, translators aren't sure exactly how to how to translate it, or, how, or should they start a new sentence or not. But all things in the heavens and things that are on earth, in him, it says. Now, the New American Standard puts a period after the word earth and starts a new sentence. In him, Ephesians 1.11 in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Okay, so there you have a, a very clear statement. Uh, it's speaking in a, a teaching portion of God's word that's addressing 
Uh, what all happens in time and space, God is working all things according to the counsel of his will. And boy, do, boy, do I need to be reminded of that right now uh, with, with stuff going on. God is the one who's sovereign over, over all. He predestines uh, his people. We are predestined to, to receive an inheritance, meaning the, the inheritance achieved by Jesus Christ, and new heavens, and new earth, and um, all things being reconciled to God, the, the whole creation being liberated from the bondage of corruption, and our salvation, forgiveness, redemption. That We are predestined to that inheritance according to the purpose of him who works everything, all things, after the counsel of his will. That's so clear. Tapanta, all things, according to the counsel of his will, his boule, that boule, the counsel, the purpose, the decree of his will, his thalematos. So it's God's will that's being accomplished in the salvation of his church. Okay, that's great. So verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Now think about that. What does it mean to, to trust in Christ? That we who first trusted in Christ or hoped in Christ, would be to the praise of his glory. That pra, pra elpizo, pra elpizo, to hope before. <laughs> that we who first hoped in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. So those who have their hope, their expectation of going to heaven in Jesus and in nothing else, they um, are to the praise of his glory. It says there again, once again, what, that's why our, our confession, what is the chief end of man? man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So in our salvation, we, we, do, we are saved, as Ephesians 1, 6 says, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Here we're predestined to an inheritance, to the praise of his glory. Now, one of the things about this is, in Greek, this is still just one long sentence. Like starting in verse 3, it's still the same sentence. Um, Paul just has gone on and on and on, uh, speaking of how glorious this is. Okay, um, verse 13. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Isn't that cool? I love that. The gospel of your salvation, soterias humon. You heard the gospel of your salvation. There's, there's particularity to it there. there. In him also you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy spirit of promise. Okay. that word, uh, to seal, I seal, we're sealed with the Holy spirit of promise. And that's the imagery of the, the ring, the signet ring of a King being pressed into the wax. We have the seal of God upon us in the Holy spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who is like the, the down payment. He, he, is the, he is the down payment of God. And listen to that. In him you also trusted, in Christ you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, and I love this next verse, who is given as a pledge, or who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Now that term that's used there, arabon, is, the, is translated as pledge in the New American Standard, is translated as guarantee in the New King James Version there. Arabon is, is like earnest money when you buy a house. You ever heard that? Um, when you buy a house, you have to put down earnest money. What does that show? It shows that you've got some skin in the game. Like, I'm serious about buying this house. I've put earnest money down and it's not refundable. 
So now you know I'm serious about buying the house. That's the term arabone. What is God's earnest? It's, it's translated as earnest. The Young's literal translation translates. So how does the King James translate that? Oops, oops. King James KJV translates it as um, earnest. Yeah, and earnest, that's kind of an older English term. Earnest as a pledge, New American Standard. Guarantee, earnest. Arabone means a pledge or a deposit. You gave something as a pledge that you were serious. God gave us his Holy Spirit. That is his earnest money. That's his down payment on our redemption. With a view to the redemption of God's own possession. Do you hear that? Why do we doubt our salvation? Those that are, are broken in their hearts and see the depth of their sin and you, would, you admit your own wickedness and you see how sinful you really are. Um, God, God owns you. He purchased you. He purchased the church by the blood of Christ. They are the possession of God. He is, and the Holy Spirit is, is the, the guarantee he's going to buy the house. He's going to buy us. He's going to redeem us from death and bring us back to life and give us a new heavens and a new earth. Recreated and glorified and all the remains of sin done away with. The Spirit of God, the fact that He indwells us, and we know the Spirit is, is in us. He's the one who causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. He's the one who guides us and convicts us and shows us things and burdens us and, and sanctifies us through the Word of God. He's the guarantee. He's the pledge of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. When does that ultimately happen? When Christ returns. And so the fact that you're indwelt by the Spirit, you can know you will be redeemed when Jesus comes back. You can know that without any question. You can have, as our confession says, an infallible assurance. It's not based upon a conjecture. It is an infallible assurance of faith rooted in the promises of God, all of which are yes and amen in Christ. The Spirit is the guarantee. He is the earnest, the deposit on the purchase of the possession of God. And there it is again. To the praise of his glory again. It's like over and over and over again. To his doxes. His glory. His glory. His glory. To the, the glory of his grace. To the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. You see how silly it is? Well, our works enter into some kind of eschatological vindication of the reality of our faith. No. There's nothing like that. This is Jesus' show. This is to glorify him. And any good works that we do, they're done in gratitude to God as a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and they contribute nothing, nothing to getting us into heaven whatsoever. Because our going to heaven is the glorification of God. It's the glorification of his grace. It's to the praise of the glory of Jesus in whom we are accepted, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. We are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Yeah, but our works, no, your work's nothing. <laughs> okay, what else is going on over here? Yep, there you go. Okay, lovely picture. How can I hear more of your piano playing? Well, I have a whole channel. As well, as it used to be dedicated to piano music. My, my son's uh, jujitsu matches, the ones that I recorded are, are up there too. But there's a lot more piano stuff on there if you ever want to look at that. It's just called Patrick Hines Piano. Um, it's got a hundred subscribers. So... Yeah, the recordings are not that great, but I still, I love to play the piano. I wish I had more time to practice and stuff, but anyway. 
So we're done. This is all done to the praise of his glory. It says the last phrase of verse 14, to the praise of his glory. Verse 15, therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, verse 16, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So Paul knows how these folks are believers, they're Christians, and he prays for them and is thankful to God for them. I would ask myself and ask you, do you thank God for your Christian family, for your church, for your fellow believers? Can you imagine a life, living your life and not having any Christian friends or any Christian fellowship at all? How hard that would be? No Christian friends, no Christian fellowship. Give thanks to God that you know Christian people. People that want to be godly, that want to live their lives for, for Jesus, that love their local church and want to share one another's burdens and pray for each other and rejoice together, weep together, all of that. He prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So he's praying that God would, would help you to know more and more and more about him, that you would uh, have wisdom and understand what's been revealed about the Lord Jesus. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And you think, well, once a person knows Christ and they, they know the Lord, and I mean, why would you keep praying that they would just know him even more? <laughs> because we can always grow in that. We can always have an even stronger sense of assurance, a stronger hope of heavenly glory, and a stronger sense of the riches that we have in Jesus Christ and the inheritance that we have with all the other saints of God, with all his other people throughout the world. And verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Isn't that amazing? The very same power that brought Christ out of the grave that brought him back to life has been done upon us in the resurrection of our dead souls uh, to be alive in Jesus Christ. That's why scripture speaks of uh, the new birth as a, as a resurrection, uh, making alive of the dead, uh, like Ezekiel 37 speaks of the valley of dry bones and so on and so forth. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Speaking of Christ, he's far above everything might and dominion, every name that is named in this age and the age to come. Christ has the preeminence. He is the highest uh, and most exalted that uh, he could possibly be now that he's accomplished his great work. Verse 22, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Our, our Reformed forefathers never tired of citing this passage against the idea that the Pope was the head of the church. They said, No, Christ God the Father gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Wow, that's a lot of amazing stuff uh, there in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, so, okay, wow, goodness, that much time has gone by. Well, I'm gonna, I've got a bunch of other things i got to try to get done today, but I appreciate y'all uh, being here. Uh, thank you all for listening, for watching, and for your comments over there. I love you all so much, and just uh, it's always encouraging uh, to just talk about God's Word and talk about how glorious it is and the wonderful promises that God has given to us and His wonderful 
uh, gift of grace that he's given us in Jesus Christ. And I just want you all to know I love you all, and let's pray for each other. Let's pray for revival. Let's pray that God will change these dark days into light through his glorious church. Thank you all for watching or for listening. Pastor Patrick Hines of Bridwell Heights Presbyterian Church in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can visit us on the web at bridwellheightschurch.com where all the sermons and podcasts are put into our sermon audio feed, which is accessible in iTunes as well as the podcast app. You are welcome to join us any Sunday morning for Sunday school for all ages at 10 a.m. and then worship for everyone at 11 a.m. If you ever have any questions about the Christian faith or the Bible, you can email me at pastor at bridwellheightschurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.